The Courage to Lead, episode 168. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Doug McIsaac, consultant. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to have you here. Consultant and coach Doug McIsaac is an entrepreneur at heart and enjoys helping other business owners develop and implement strategies to grow their businesses. Doug has been utilizing online tools to build businesses since 1997, when he built the Rocky Mountain Technology Group, or RMTG a Billings, Montana-based software company from a $6,000 investment into a multi-million dollar 30-employee company. In 2005, Doug retired from RMTG and realized that the best way for most business, businesses to market effectively was to use integrated online marketing campaigns to drive customers through their doors. In the past 17 years, Doug has split his time between winning national awards for his campaigns, driving millions of dollars in the coffers of his clients, and speaking and coaching on internet marketing and social media marketing. In 2019, Doug started coaching other consultants one-to-one and has now built the McIsaac Doctrine. It helps consultants and coaches develop a consulting business that enables them to reach and exceed their business and professional goals. Doug, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. We had a fun chat before too, so this is I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, this is great. So the McIsaac Doctrine, that sounds yeah, <laughs> well, a little intense. I, well, I'm a bit of a history geek, so it's kind of like the Monroe Doctrine. And my, the whole idea is I take people from the old world way of thinking to the new world way of doing business. And that's what it's all about. So that's why that's kind of the way I, it made sense to me and it fits. So that's how I describe it to people. Absolutely. No. All right. I want to come back and talk about that. Talk about yeah, how you got that's why I gave it the short version for you. Absolutely. No, no, definitely. Definitely want to get into that. Find yeah. out uh, where you came up with the doctor and who you work with, how you help them now. Uh, some of the things you've got going on. And uh, at some point, we'll transition into courage and leadership. Perfect. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, okay. Listeners will know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James Lipton asks these same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I always figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. That's right. All right. So, Doug, if you're ready, 10 questions for you, sir. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Opportunity. What is your least favorite word? Failure. What turns you on? Growth, both myself and others. What turns you off? Uh, Stagnation, both of myself and others. (laughs) What sound or noise do you love? (laughs) <laughs> the cash register. <laughs> Finally, an honest answer. Finally, an honest yes. answer. The, the PayPal ding. I love the PayPal ding. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Um, I don't see the phone ringing. I never answer my phone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, almost never. All right. Um, what is your favorite curse word? Rhymes with truck. Okay. That seems to be the most popular. It is the most popular. Absolutely. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? He's a pride a bunch. Um, Honestly, being a professor might be fun, except for the politics. But teaching, (laughs) I love love teaching kids. I love teaching people and seeing them grow. I love doing that. And that's why... I could see myself doing that, but I mean, I look at, well, I also, I look at, you know, I'm a little older, (laughs) the whole idea of um, going, I can see a lot of companies that I can help grow. I see it all the time, but I also don't want to have to step in and deal with all the politics and all of that stuff. You know, so it's like, that's why I love being a consultant and coach, but, but I I could see myself teaching. I had an opportunity at the local university, um, but I didn't have my master's. So. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. All right. What profession then would you not like to do? Um, 
politician. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did the best you could. <laughs> awesome. All right. Very good. All right. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, how you got your start, um, your, your time at RMTG. We're going to talk about some of the things you're working on right now. And like I said, at some point, we'll transition into courage and leadership. All right. Yep. Cool. All right, listeners, we're going to talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Doug McIsaac. Doug, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. So uh, I like to ask, when, when you were a kid, thinking about what you wanted to be when you grew up, is this a life you envisioned for yourself? No, I actually thought I'd go into the corporate world. I read Iacocca's, I was always an entrepreneur, always selling stuff, but I read Iacocca's biography and I thought that's what I wanted to do was be in a corporation and be a manager and grow that way. Um, that was when I was, and, and I just kind of realized as I, as life went on that the corporate world was just too much politicking because I worked in large organizations and just too much of that going on and not enough just getting the job done. That's why I love coaching and consulting. Absolutely. So do you have some businesses when you were growing up as a kid? Um, I had more like, you know, shoveling snow, yeah. mowing lawns, uh, helping people, that type of stuff. Um, babysitting. I babysat all summer uh, for one. That was my summer job, which at the time was $2 an hour back in nineteen. 19- wow. 78 probably and and that's a pretty good job for a, whatever I was eighth grader I think yeah. I was at the time so you know it's like yeah um but no I always had projects I didn't have a real business business I always had projects you know but I did buy and sell things too but not I would never call it, it wasn't at a stage I'd call it a business yeah um so tell me about RMTG you developed software solutions for pharmacies and clinics we did. And um, we started out just when that first year when we started out, it became from an idea. Um, my, I'd actually sold another business that was back in college. And a friend of mine um, was lamenting the fact that he had used to make $75 an hour with unlimited overtime working for Compaq. And back in Billings, the only job he could find was like 24000 a year. And I was like, wow, well, you know, I bet a lot of people in Billings would be happy to go fly out and do those gigs for six weeks or something and then come back and take a couple of weeks off, you know, and, and we could take a piece of it. And he's like, how do we do that? So then we just got started with it. And one thing led to another. And we did uh, we did work with Stanford University, um, Icon Technology Solutions, California Healthcare Centers, um, San Francisco, sorry, San Francisco Healthcare Centers and um, Bank of America, Microsoft. We ended up doing some big, big, pro- working on some really big projects. Nice. And that's how we did 460,000 that first year. We were just, we plugged in at the right time. It was during the dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. And th- but we saw that we started to see the, the bust coming. So we started working on our own software, which is a pharmacy system, which um, we ran out of money, but we ultimately sold it to Albertsons and Super Value Pharmacies. And at its time, it was the largest implementation of Microsoft SQL Server, and Active Directory in the world at its wow. time. Nowadays, it's you know the forty terabyte database is not that big a deal these days. But yeah. back in two thousand one, that was a big deal. It was so, a big deal. And so, yeah, just uh, we had a lot of fun delivering that. And we did a application for antiretroviral clinics in Uganda. Um, there's a long story about how that one went down, but um, you know I'll have to tell it at another time because it, it's going to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, yeah, that's those are that's what we did there. Is we built some really great software. Nice, but you weren't on the programming side. You were the business side. I was the, the business guy. Or? Yeah, yep, okay. yeah. I, the three of my two other founders. One was a database guy, and the other was a networking guy, and um, then myself. So um, I was the guy that initially I took care of all the books and all of that such. 
And then, um, then we did bring somebody the first, you know, brought in somebody to help me with that. And as we grew and we ultimately had in-house general counsel, you know, we hired a, a gentleman as to be our CEO because we were all in our late twenties. So we did bring on a CEO at the time that was you know 50 years old. And um, he helped us negotiate the deal with Albertsons. Um, he probably got us 20 million more than we would have requested, even though that deal didn't quite go the right way, but still, yeah, he negotiated a, the deal for us. Nice. And so pharmacy and clinician software, that, that was like a, a perfect time to jump into that, wasn't it? It was a great time to do it. Yeah. And we were looking at, uh, like we did things, we did a lot of firsts. I mean, we weren't one of the first systems that was Windows based because it was all DOS systems. Mm-hmm. And that was why we started building is the old Y2K scare. And, um, you know, we did things like touch screens, you know, um, things where uh, the pharmacist could be working on a screen over here and then close it. Well, and they didn't have to close it. They go over to another machine and they open that screen. It would bring their, their desktop up. So they wouldn't have to log back in. We did it all by fingerprint as well. So we scanned fingerprints and use touch screens. We were one of the first to do that. Um, certainly in pharmacy. Um, we'd also built a, a, a Kino and poker machine or a Kino machine. So that's how we knew we'd had a lot of experience with the touch screens and stuff. And we, we did a number of other projects. Those are just the two biggest ones that I mentioned. Nice. And, um, so we did a lot of firsts and things that people just hadn't weren't possible with the old DOS based systems, you know, just the way to control things. And, you know, the, just a lot of different things that made it so much easier for the people scanning in scripts, you know, so we would actually have the scripts up and have a picture of them. Um, having a photo, having an image of the actual drugs come up on the screen. So the pharmacist could look here and look there and verify the drugs. I mean, number of those types of things that the other systems just couldn't do. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So uh, just looking at your profile on LinkedIn, yeah. tell me about the 90 day authority.com. Oh, that was a fun one. Um, we all struggle with people figuring out who we are online. And what I did when I decided I wanted to be a social media guy is I said, okay, I'm in Billings, Montana. I'm everybody in Billings is going to know who I am by the time I get done with this. And, and I hope people beyond Billings know, but everybody in Billings will know me. And I took what I did in 90 days and I brought it online as a program because over the years, the tools change. And um, what I did is I introduced people to a variety of ways that they could, the paths that they could take to increase their authority. One was podcasting. And I said, one of the ways to do it, it's speaking and podcasting. And I said, this is how you, everything starts at the same thing though. It's like, you understand who you're, you really need to spend time understanding who your customer is. You need to understand what your offer is. You need to under, really understand why they want to work with you. And then you go to, then we build the path to your authority over, over 90 days and show you how to get from where you're at to where Everybody within your market space knows who you are. It doesn't mean everybody in the world is going to know who you are, but everybody's heard your name. And that's, you know, if you've done right at that point, people are actually reaching out to you to be on podcasts or speak on stages or hire, you know, hiring you to be their, their customer. And um, some of the methods, obviously, that we've talked about in that, I, I have it down these days because a lot of the stuff doesn't work as well as it did because you just don't get syndication on, you know, Facebook anymore, Instagram, hardly any. Um, the only two that really have syndication today is TikTok and LinkedIn. Um, and they're both getting harder. They're both where, I mean, they're where Instagram was five years ago. You know, they're where Facebook was eight years ago, nine years ago. And so you're still, you still can get some syndication, but it's slowing down. And it's like, um, the way they both, and actually they have different out, the way they do their algorithms are very different. TikTok is designed as a discovery platform, whereas all of the others are just designed as you're following these people. And by the way, here's some other stuff. TikTok is designed by you've interacted with these types of videos. Here's more of them. And by the way, here's the people you're actually following, you know? And so that's the difference in the algorithm. And LinkedIn is doing something very smart where they're actually, their hashtag strategy is actually really strong. So mm. if you follow hashtags and you and you use hashtags in your content, not spamming hashtags, right. you know, but using three to five hashtags in your content, that content can show up based on people following hashtags and be right. seen by people within their feed. Awesome. So, so what, do you, getting, what, is synd- what is syndication when you say syndication? Sorry, yeah, I'm glad, glad you had me back that up. Syndication is... When back in the old days with Facebook, you could post on your Facebook page and 
everybody that was following your page would see it. And any interaction they did with it, a like, a comment, anything, their friends would see it. And sometimes their friends of friends would see it as well. And that would happen, you know, virtually everybody that followed your page would see your content. So, and they, because of that, they'd interact with it, then their friends would see it. And sometimes people outside of your network and your followers networks would see it as well, you know, because people showed interest in similar types of content. So, and that happens on most platforms. So, um, but not as well as it used to, because what happens now is Facebook shows it to, you got, you know, thousand people following your, your page, they'll show it to, you know, maybe a hundred of them, you know, and that's being generous, probably more like 50 to 90 people that actually followed your page and said they wanted to see your content will actually see your content. And, and if those people interact with it, then their followers will see it, but not everybody that's on the page. If you want everybody that's following your page to see your content, you have to pay. Now it's still not that expensive, but it's still pay to play. In yeah. LinkedIn, Facebook are pay to play. So I'm not LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, you can still get syndication. You can pay to play on everyone. But uh, Facebook and Instagram are very much pay to play these days. So uh, pay, would that be through ads or the boost? Because I heard the boost um, isn't as good as. Right. Um, there's the, there's a boost and there's a an ad. The biggest difference between a boost and an ad is uh, the targeting that is available to you uh, in ads is much better than the targeting available to you in a boost. They're narrowing that by taking away some of our targeting options on the ad side yeah. and adding more options on the boost side. So it is narrowing. It used to be really, really wide, but now it is narrowing. And um, it's making it tougher and tougher to target directly. So more and more, if you want, I'll give you a quick Facebook ad strategy. If you want to be successful on Facebook, you need to do a visibility campaign. So it's a little bit broader, a broader version of your audience, and then run your 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 actual lead generation ads, your sales ads against people who have interacted with that first level, ah. that first level of ads. So you make a custom group based on the people who've interacted with interacted with that first con- content, and that's who you actually run your ads against. Nice, very. You cool. have to get them to raise their hand and say, "I'm interested in something like this." Yeah. And, you, you, the targeting just is not as good as it used to be. They've chopped a lot of stuff back. Yeah, it seems like every time you think you've got it understood, something changes, right? Yes. Well, and I, I help some of my clients with their ad campaigns and I'm in there all the time and we're the big old bar saying some of your targeting options are going yeah. away all the time. And it's, it gets really frustrating for people, but you know, we have all of our people use it. You know, we do the visibility up front and then run ads against those. Sometimes we'll do three tiers. Sometimes we'll do a visibility campaign, an inexpensive, inexpensive lead gen and free or easily downloadable type of lead gen. Mm-hmm. option and then pardon me and then our higher end offer or our webinar so sometimes we'll do three but most of the times we're just doing two interesting and video content or text based content? Uh, the real answer is test your market because every market is different uh, the short answer is video video yeah. you're going to get a lot more views it's cheaper to get views and you can see how far, how much they interacted with your content. So that's why videos are much better because, you know, you can only, you, you run your second set of ads against people who watch at least 50% of your video. Cause if they watch less than 50%, it, they don't really matter. But if they watch more than 50% of it, you run the ads against them. If it's text, text, you only get to run the ad against them if they like or comment, not if uh-huh. they viewed it. So, so that, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, probably higher quality than a view, but you get a lot fewer of them. Interesting. Cause you so, get views still under a penny. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, if you've got good content, reasonable targeting, you're still getting views under a penny. So you prefer LinkedIn over Facebook? Um, I do use LinkedIn more. And I was, those ads I was talking about more, that's Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I do use LinkedIn a lot more. Um, because I, my clients are coaches and consultants and I primarily am B2B. And I understand, I understand B2C. I've done lots of, a B2B is business to business. B2C is business to consumer. Um, I pri- most of my career, I've worked business to business, even though I have done plenty of business consumer stuff. But with business, to, LinkedIn is the spot for business to business. Um, content on LinkedIn, um, there are, well, this data is almost a year old now, but there is 9 billion impressions available on LinkedIn. Okay, every week. Okay, nine billion impressions. 
How many people do you think post, how many pieces of content do you think were posted a week? Three million. So that means there's 3000 views per piece of content that's posted that are available. And one of the things LinkedIn has really tried to do with their algorithm is to take away from a very tiny, you know, one fraction, 1% getting millions of views. And they're, they're trying to chop that down. So instead of this one getting 5 million views, they're only getting a million. And this one only getting a million views, they're getting 500,000. But this one that would have gotten two views is now getting 200. And they're really trying to narrow that gap because they want more content creators on there, not just some big stars. Yeah. And so those views, is that on LinkedIn ads or those blog posts? This, this, this is that I'm talking organic. This is all organic in the feed. Yeah. It's the thing that they did when they added the feed in, see LinkedIn was bought by Microsoft uh, for $26 billion, what, six, seven years ago, I think seven years ago. And um, at the time, Bill Gates said that he believed that LinkedIn feed would become just as, if not more valuable than the Facebook feed. Because you are talking a higher higher value person, you know, um, not to knock people, but, you know, generally speaking, people on LinkedIn are, are more professional. Um, you've got every Fortune 500 has C-level executives on there. Um, it's just, I there are, there are parts of the country where people, even in their 20, 25 to 35 year range, do not even touch Facebook. They're on, they're on LinkedIn talking with their friends. And so it's just, I love LinkedIn. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, Facebook is, is a lot more, I guess they call it pedestrian and more yeah. for families and friends, right. To share things than uh, LinkedIn is more business, right? More it business is absolutely more business. And, and even during our, our last election cycle, which was horrid and, and since then, um, you know, because it's our country is very divisive and I don't want to go into politics, but right now we're a little divisive. LinkedIn was very good about people saying, yeah, we're not interested in that shit here. And, you know, so you saw, pardon my language, but you saw far less of it on LinkedIn than you saw on Facebook. I mean, everybody has a crazy Uncle Eddie that goes in and oh, yeah. argues with everybody. And no matter what you post, they're arguing with you. Um, yeah, you can block them, but, you know, or but sooner or later they figure it out. And so um, that's why a lot of people don't go on Facebook anymore. That and the fact that you know, if your parents are on there, it's not nearly as exciting for the younger kids. So, you know, <laughs> absolutely. But, yeah. But so yeah, that's go ahead. So the McIsaac doctrine. Yes. Touched on it briefly. What does that in, in, entail? How do you how do you work with your your clients? Um, when I work with somebody through through that, it's twelve steps. It's a twelve step program, and what we do is, like I said earlier, is the whole idea of calling it the McIsaac doctrine is kind of like as a history geek, the Monroe Doctrine, where it's really about taking people from consultants and coaches from the old way of doing business, which is referrals and such. Um, I used to do a lot of lead generation. I still have some lead generation clients, but the problem is the guys that are getting all their leads organically, those guys are retiring and dying. I mean, you know, it's like I work with a lot of consultants that are in their 50s, 60s, you know, they've been in business 30 years, but the people have been hiring them are retiring and dying or younger people are doing the hiring. So they need to be where those people are. So I need to take them from their old way of doing business into the new way of doing business. And so what we do is we start out by, you know, at the first step we do is we find out who they are, what their business is all about. And then we talk about what their goals are. And then we help them devise a plan to get from where they are to where they want to be. And then the next, you know, the next eight steps are literally walking them through how they develop that plan and getting that plan launched. Um, many of my people that I work with, they're tired of getting on planes. They've been getting on planes for 20 years and they're tired of doing that. One of my clients, she was like, Doug, if I never get on a plane again, I will, I love you. If I never have to get on a plane again, you know, this is some making, you know, multiple six figures, half, you know, half million a year consulting and coaching. So what we did with her, she has a, a she two, two times a year, she has a work, big workshop where she lives and she does an online, she has an online program. That's what she does. Um, I'm trying to get her to do a certification, but she hasn't done that yet. But so, you know, you figure out what works for your market you know, and do what works for your market. You know, CEOs aren't going to join some online program, but they might join a mastermind. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get 12 other, they'll do that. So you need to understand when I'm dealing with consultants, there's, there's, and I, the line between business coach and consultant to me is um, really blurry when you talk to the business type of guys. But generally speaking, 
the consultant focuses on the business side of things and might touch on the personal side, whereas the coach focuses on the personal side and may touch on the business side. So that's where I kind of see the the overlap because I'm I see myself as more of a consultant, but I do coach some. Whereas I know other coaches that do a little bit of business, but most of what the people I work with are usually one or the other, and some are like I said, a combination of both. So what are those leaders struggling with? What are they What are they working towards? Or the the people I'm working with, their biggest struggle right now, um, unfortunately, is marketing isn't working, and they don't know how to find the people. The people that they have when they do have teams, their people doesn't do not understand how marketing has changed. They're using, trying to do the same stuff that they've done for 20 years and it's not working as well. So I come in, like I've worked with um, Dale Carnegie franchises and I come in and I show their salespeople how, you know, just calling people up is great. And you're going to have, you're never going to stop doing that. And you're going to have to stop going to these networking events, but you know what? You got LinkedIn. Here's another place where you can meet them. So I kind of go in and show them how they can do that. Um, I show them other methods that they can use. Like I worked with a, their, their internal sales and marketing guy and helped him develop a program where he could have his people ongoing. He could teach them how to use LinkedIn to do their prospecting. Because that, that was a piece that was missing for them. Is they, they, they had all the offline, all the old stuff that works, but it doesn't work like it used to. You can't get people on phone like you used to be able to, you know, people, people don't, they don't go to as many of the networking events as they used to. They don't go to, especially with COVID um, last couple of years, there weren't those events. So um, I go in and I, I see what their needs are and I help them advise that. So their biggest problems are not seeing, you know, not understanding how to make it work in the new marketplace and they need some fresh eyes on what they're doing. That's the biggest thing. And in the end, sometimes someone needs to go. I mean, they have somebody that just isn't going to change. And every time they try to initiate something, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I listen, I, I fired my dad and laid off my sister. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of all downhill after that, but, but, you know, you have to have compassion for people, but if the business needs to change and the person will not change, sure, then you have to change the person. And sometimes that's what they have to do. And it's tough for a lot of guys They've been working the same people for 20 years, you know, but yeah. I'm sorry, but you know, you don't have, you know, this is your problem. Your problem is right here. Right. And unfortunately we, they don't want to learn. They don't want to change. Yeah. And if they don't want to learn and change, you have two choices. You deal with it or you put another person in that seat. But it's really, it's not fair to that person because they're not operating at their zone of genius Right. And it's not Either, part of the no. business because everybody no. else is having to pick up the slack. That's but right. For coaches. Yes. That's tough to go in and yeah, say either you're the problem or yeah. you, the baby is ugly. Right. Yeah. You have to have those kind of conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and there's a, um, you know, and a coach, generally speaking, they've got small teams. They've got, you know, they got, and sometimes they're in an office and sometimes they're all remote, but you know, they've got small teams, maybe three people, maybe 10 you know, um, the type of guys I'm working with are guys that are doing, you know, mid six figures, you know, they're, and they're, they've got a good living, but it's getting either tougher to travel all the time, or it's getting, or, or they're just, they're not getting as many clients as they were in the past and they need new lead gen, yeah. new methods. They need to come into the new, they need to come into the new world of marketing wow. and running your business. Wow. So you work with the entire team? Or just the, the, the I usually just work with the uh, with the owners and managers okay. typically. Yeah, typically I'm working with the owner. Almost always the owner for this. But um, as we implement stuff, sometimes I'll coach the people in on the team, or I'll bring somebody else in to coach them. Yeah, yeah. Because if they don't have a good strong leadership team all aligned, right, yes. working for the same thing, that's it's all going to kind of fall apart. Right. Absolutely. And, and a lot of time and other times I'm actually showing how a team had to implement a content plan or some of the things that I've, that we've put in the plan, I need to show them how to implement them because you know, that's, or hire somebody that can implement it for them. Yeah. 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 Cause that's, cool. that's the key. And, and just, you know, the world's changed. I mean, the business world has changed and some people just haven't changed with it. And, you know, I was, I was pounding this pay. I was pounding on this, in 2005 and six yeah. saying you need to be on the internet and people are looking at me like you're nuts. My first class I ever taught, MySpace was the largest social media site 
Wow. At the time, they were bigger than Facebook. They had some like 81 million and Facebook had 73 or whatever it was, something wow. like that. Yeah. Nobody was over 100 million, you know. And uh, now today, everybody realized, I was telling people, you need to be on Facebook. And they're like, I don't want to be on Facebook. I, they weren't, they, it was just funny, you know, because I've been at this a while. I mean, yeah. 17 years now. And wow. it's fascinating how it's changed. But I have changed who I work with because I love, I found I loved working with consultants. One of my first clients, um, an early client, 2009, uh, Tom, he has a, he has a consulting company where he helps behavioral health care clinics get their accreditation. And, um, there's two, there's three different standards. There's a car for accreditation and joint commission accreditation. And there's a third one. I always forget the name of it, but he doesn't do it. The other two are, those are the two main ones. And when he came to me, I think he said he did 60,000 that year. Well, last year he did, uh, we'll just say over a million. He's done over a million. He'll do over a million this year too. And, and it's, but I've along the way, I've helped him put the systems in place. I've helped him build. One of the things that happens with all consultants is we go in and we get a big bunch of money to go into a client site and then there's nothing. So the thing I did with him is, okay, we need to build something. So you got revenue coming, a nice, consistent base, recurring revenue, recurring revenue. A business partner pounds it into my head. Our entire business runs on recurring revenue. Um, and uh, so I helped him build a, pl- a program that it was not big dollars, but a couple hundred bucks a month. But you multiply that by 300 people, that becomes real okay. money, yeah. you know? And, and so he's got it to, it's, that's still a chunk. It's, he's a long ways away from all of his clients getting it and all of his co- consultants selling it. But we're really working on getting that higher. So um, that, that is what I look at when I work with the client is I go, quite often consultants do, they do the one big thing and then nothing. You know, right. or they hand them off to somebody else and don't do a referral fee or something. You know, um, there's usually some sort of a recurring revenue stream possibility in there. Maybe it's recommended software and you get an affiliate fee. There's yeah. some sort, you know, there's some sort of recurring revenue model there. There always is, you know, even if it's access to training videos, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it in all different price points, depending on who you're working with Absolutely. and understanding the people. The CEOs are rarely going to, do a $49 a month, bunch of videos thing, but they will join a mastermind group at a thousand to $2,000 a month. Um, Their staff will go in and watch the training videos. So you just need to understand who the market is at the time and what, what you're building for. And quite often I'll work with a consultant that only talks to the CEO and they don't do the other stuff. So I say, so I can come in and say, okay, you can still work with the, with the CEO, but let's build some stuff for these other people that you can sell. And that you can put, like I have a, I helped a lady launch a business where she teaches front office staff uh, for dental offices. So she teaches all of them, you know, and at first she's trying to sell it to the dentist and she wasn't getting quite the traction. Well, it's the office manager you need to sell on this stuff. So, you know, it's understanding who you sell it to. And then, then you figure out your pricing and all that. But I mean, that one, she's, she was seven figures last time I talked to her. So nice. But that, I mean, you know, you said a couple of things I want to touch on the, the audience. You need to know yes. the audience that you're selling to and what their need is. How do you fill their need? It's different at the executive level than it is at the mid-manager level than it is at the frontline manager level. Right? Yeah. Everything's a little bit different. Um, and systems. I'm yes. a big systems guy. Yeah. I yeah. If you want your business to run, you know, I work with one guy, he was working 50, 60 something hours a week got him down to 20 hours a week because we put systems in his business and it started running. He could check in from home, you know, mm-hmm. and see if things are working and things like that. Systems yeah. are crucial, but yeah. it's a lot of times it's hard, except for those older folks that have been in the business for a while yeah. to shift their thinking, yeah. you know? Well, yeah. And some of them are like, why would I do that? You know, cause that's not, you know, I'm charging this much an hour, 500, whatever an hour for this. Why would I sell something that's right. a couple hundred bucks a month? It's like, well, because if every one of your clients does it, you know. MRR, monthly <laughs> yeah. recurring revenue. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, 50 times 200 is 10 grand. I mean, right. you know, it all adds up, you know, and, yeah. and recurring revenue is beautiful. I mean, that's the business. I mean, if you want to be able to sell, here's the other thing. Most consultants never have anything they can sell. Mm-hmm. If you have a recurring revenue program, even if it's just training videos that you have to update every month or something, yeah. Um, you can sell that. Sure. You know, that's sellable. And that'll give you a lot more value and make you a lot more money than anything else that you can sell at that point. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah, yeah. It's, that's the key. And that's what a lot of the guys, a lot of us don't think about is what are we going to, you know, 
if when we're ready to retire, what do we have to sell? And most consulting companies are not worth anything, you know, because it's, it's all right here in one guy's head. Yeah. I I have um, a client of mine who I I loved uh, and uh, who amazing man that really needed to impact more people in his life. Um, who I've started working with them, I said, we've got to get some stuff up and going, recurring revenue stuff, because we need to have something for your family, because your health is not great. We need something for your family. Well, he's passed away before we launched. Mm. Um, and uh, that's very unfortunate, because I believe that the one thing we're working on, his training was great for frontline supervisors. And we built a program within one of the large, one of the largest franchises in the country who he works with, where he'd worked with like 3,000 other franchisees over the years. And so I want, we wanted to sell that into theirs and we had that all together, but he ended up uh, getting sick again and passing away. So unfortunately, but that would have been sellable. We could have brought another trainer in, you know, or, or I could have kept it. Someone could have kept it running for his wife. We could have brought in other trainers to, to keep that program growing. Might've had to reduce the price, but we could have kept it going. Wow. And the pandemic has, has kind of created a whole new batch of independent consultants, coaches, mentors, yes. right? Yeah. Which I love. I'm starting to work with them too. They're, they've got years and years of experience. Mm-hmm. It's like, what can I do with this? How can I get this out in the marketplace? How can I help people? You know, uh, that's how my wife and I started. Um, yeah. You know, we were working for companies and it's like their focus was on something else, not on the organizational change management where that was our piece of the pie. Yeah. It's like, we feel that is so critical. And yet in a lot of contracts, they would say, ah, we'll take that off. To con- if, if the yeah. client balked at the price of the contract, we'll take that piece out, right? That yeah. and training, we'll just do that. And so we left and started our own business to focus on organizational change management. I think there are yeah. so many people out there because of the pandemic, they're saying the same thing. I've got this zone of genius that I love working in. How can I monetize this? How can I get out there and do it? Yeah. When a lot of people, there's two sides to it. And I'll, I'll, a lot of people use unemployment. I mean, especially in the UK, I know, I know a lot of people in the UK the, the unemployment, because they were really, they were harsher there than they were here. I know a lot of people there that really built businesses online. They've been puttering around with it, but they're able to use the unemployment money that was being paid. And they spent that time building their business. And now they have a real business. I, I know a number of people like that. Um, and the tools are available. I mean, a hundred million people in two weeks, a hundred million new people were on Zoom. Okay. In two weeks, 100 million more people were on Zoom. 100 million people who probably didn't know, 99 million of them had never heard of Zoom, had no clue what it was, were now using it. Um, that was one of our biggest holdups. I mean, back in the day, it's like getting somebody to understand the tools and use the tools was always an issue. But companies were forced to use them and realized, wow, this works. That's why remote working is far more popular. Companies are letting it, more companies are letting it continue than are not. Um, employees are loving it. Um, we're finding that people can be productive from home and we're, we're ready to learn through this. We are forced to do it. People were forced to do it, but it was a hundred. The fact that zoom only crashed a couple of times here and there is astonishing. They they, they did a great job. So a lot of people are now open to it that were not open to it before. So that's helping it a lot. Um, I actually have a funny thing, a, a good friend, actually an old girlfriend of mine, but she had a half million dollars worth of business leaf her calendar in one week. Wow. when the world closed for COVID two years ago. I mean, literally just left her calendar. And then she, uh, um, and I've been talking to her for years about, you need to do more online programs. She goes, she goes I like being in front of people. I said, no, that's okay. I'm not saying you can't do that. Well, let's right. make some money while you're not in front of people. And she's like, well, I got this thing. I said, yeah, but that's not really, that's not you and you don't promote it. So um, I finally got her. Well, at first she's like, man, I got, she's basically could retire if she wanted to. She doesn't need to work. But um, she, uh, she's like, I got money. I'll just let it roll. Well, finally, and I, we touched base and talked several times. And finally, in August, she goes, okay, show me how to use Zoom because I've got a client that they're going to leave me if I don't do a Zoom training with them. Yeah. Yeah. And in her case, I mean, I had to literally sit with her and say, okay, these are the things you would change. Mm-hmm. And here's how you adapt your in-person training to work with these sure. people and spent the time doing that with her. And, and then she did. And she goes, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would yeah. be. And now she... And she's back doing in person as well, but now she's right. doing both. And, yeah. and the benefit of that is amazing because instead of being a two day training, taking you four days to do it, because you got to fly there, do the right. thing and fly back. Um, now it takes you two days. 
in your home. Well, it opens up. It opens up your audience to the world. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You you can instead of well, even if I've been the her case, she was working with a specific company. But yeah, then she can work with uh, one of the companies she works with. Whereas in the past, they'd have to fly all their people to one location. Now those people sit at their desks and log online. So sure. it's saving those companies, you know, a thousand bucks an employee, and it's saving her the trouble of traveling. And so it's great for everybody. I mean, it really is doing, being able to do more and more training virtually has made it great for everybody. Absolutely. But, and you also talked about the multiple revenue streams. Yes. Don't just focus on one because that one could go away. All these others could back up and they could, they could float you until you get, you know, to the next project or whatever it is, next client. One uh, of anything will always kill you. Yeah. Uh, like there's a bunch of people that their one traffic source is Facebook and you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, these days, Something's going to change. Facebook's going to say, nope, we don't like your category anymore. I've known that's happened to a bunch of guys. Just using Google, anytime you only have one source of traffic. And I'm not saying that Facebook might be your biggest source of traffic, but you're only getting 20% somewhere else. But you need to have that coming from somewhere else. Yeah. You know, only having one supplier, you know, like 80% of all the uh, baby formula coming out of one factory in the U.S., that's an issue, you know. Issue. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like... One of anything is always a problem. So we need to, we need to um, make sure that in our businesses, there's never one of anything. Right. You know, well, the military, yeah. they say two is one and one yes. is none. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and we're, I mean, I'm not as good at it as I need to be. We all need to be better, but you know, it's um, so many people get caught on just the one thing that they do and they don't think about other ways. And, and, all it takes is someone else to come in from the outside to say, Hey, have you tried this? Or let's, let's try this. Well, I did that once. Okay. Did you really put some effort into it? Or you just kind of kick a can, you know, and usually they just kind of kick the can. So yeah. 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 And the world has changed. Definitely. And I think it's open. I think it's definitely open for options now. You know, it is a lot more, a lot of people that never would have done zoom before were forced to do it. And now they're, I have clients that, I, matter of fact, I have two clients that don't even come to my office. I mean, one of them is less than a mile away. Yeah. I mean, they live a mile away from me and they don't come to my office. And I got a nice office. We got a nice little atrium with trees in it. And, you know, it's, like, it's, like, it's funny. I, there's two guys I'm doing a project for that literally is the center of the, uh, I'm helping them. I'm developing a couple of apps as well, just on the side. And uh, I've never met them. Yeah. Never met them face to face. Yeah. That's how the world is now. It is. Crazy. So I want to talk about courage. The the yes. podcast is all about courage. Where did you find the courage to walk away from the nine to five comfort zone and, and safety yes. net of the job to create your own success? Where'd you find the courage to overcome the setbacks that a lot of entrepreneurs, right? The divorce, the bankruptcies, yeah. things like that. Um, how about you? Where did you find the courage to go out and start your own software company? Um, I'll tell you that I kind of fell into it. Be honest, I fell into it and did it. The better story is after I lost everything. Um, when RMTG RMTG went out of business, I say retired, but RMTG went out of business. I had a I left the company with a twelve year payment plan, a ten year payment plan, and I got ten months of payments. I was in the middle of a divorce, had thyroid cancer. I uh, ended up not being cancerous, but when I first found out, it was cancer. Um, and uh, uh, struggling with alcohol as well. And um, in that time period, I lost everything. My company closed, lost all my houses, I had some rentals, I, everything exploded. And in that time period, I realized that I could lose everything that matters to me and then discover what really matters. And that's what happened to me. I discovered that what really mattered was that I was happy with myself and what I did. Really mattered is that I showed up for my daughter and I was the dad that she needed. You know, that's what I learned. It wasn't about all the stuff outside of me. It was what, about what was in here. Cause I was trying to fill a hole. I had a hole here that I was trying to fill with all the stuff from outside. Right. My identity as being a business owner, you know, that was one of the things I lost, you know, that you, know, you lose all these things. And, sure. and after I lost all that, and I literally, I remember sitting, laying on my stairs and crying, like, what the, you know, and, um, but after you lose everything that matters to you, it's like, I'm not afraid of anything anymore. Nothing, nothing scares me anymore. I mean, I was, I had sold my agency, um, didn't have a bunch of cash in the bank, but I had some, 
And I decided to leave that company to start a software company because I'm like, we can make this work. And it, I was getting a nice six figure salary. They were, they made the job I wanted. I was flying and speaking at conferences. I was pitching people up front and I was handing the deals off to other people. I wasn't having to do them. They built the job I wanted. Nice. And when I saw another opportunity, I was like, let's go for it. What's the worst that's going to happen? I'm lose my house. All right. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get money for a couple months. All right. I can deal with that. You know, I, I, so I went for it, you know, and now that company ended up not going anywhere, but I just rolled with it and I just turned. And it's, um, that was really the key for me is just understanding that what's the worst. It's okay. I lost some money, whatever, you know, it's the things we think matter so much. And people are like, well, I can't do that because of this, yeah. you know, yeah. and I love, I love Gary V's like going, you know, someone's like, well, I don't have the money. It's like bullshit. What, what do you pay for? What's your mortgage right now? Sell your house, move into a, move into an apartment. You know, if, you know, if you are really, really, if you really decide on something, you're really going to go for it, go for it. Don't be halfway. You but know, other people would go through that situation and just curl up in a little fetal position over in the corner and just Stay wait there. for the world. To, yeah. Yeah. You, where did that come from? That, um, well, I think that I was always, I've always been a fighter. I've always been somebody that goes for it. And um, rarely, I mean, there used to be, a, well, here, here's another, here's an example of me. I used to be, I used to be the kid that was shaking and sweating in public speaking class. I hated it. I wanted to go last. I wanted to go, okay. I realized that that was something I needed to learn. So I, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People and all the Carnegie books and uh, the speaking book. I just, I'm blanking on the speaking book's name, but, and that one, and I'm like, okay. So I started talking to people. Then I got a job as a busboy. I was a busboy. I have to talk to people. Then I got a job as a waiter. As a waiter, literally, I'm on stage in front of a group of people every night. And from doing that for several years, then I ran into Shackley and I started speaking in front of groups. Now I'm still a little, little sweaty. But I forced myself to be in those situations and I became better because I forced myself to be in those situations. Whereas today I'm a, I feel I'm a, I'm a confident public speaker. Now I haven't spoke as much the last couple of years with COVID as I used to, but I still am comfortable doing it because of that, because I just faced and went through it. Um, that's kind of what I did once. I mean, I just kind of sat down I'm like, okay, I lost this. I lost that. I lost this. What, what I got, like I said, I got me. You know, what do I have? I got this, you know, and let's, okay, let's look at the world and let's get after it. And that's what I did. And, um, you know, there's spits and sputters and some stuff worked and some stuff doesn't. And, and, um, but, you know, I never stopped. I never completely stopped. And it was just, um, you know what? It was probably seeing my, my mom is always the strongest person I knew. And um, she, we didn't have much, but she always made sure we had enough. And um, she worked part-time. I had a stepdad that contributed very little to the family. Um, my dad paid a little bit of child support, but we always had enough. Did we wear hand-me-downs? Yeah. Um, did we, you know, um, did we eat a lot of uh, venison that our neighbors gave us? Yeah. yeah. But you know what? We always had enough. And she always fought to make sure that we did. And as an adult, I did not see that as a kid. I was a all about me kid. But as an adult, I look back on that, and especially as I've become a father and realized, you know, um, sometimes I've been really good at making sure I was there for my daughter. And sometimes I haven't, but I look back at my mom and her way of doing it was to work more, you know? So she wasn't necessarily there for a lot of the things that I did, but she, she was doing what she could to support the whole family. And I look back at that and I'm amazed and at the, the courage it took and the, you know, inner fortitude it took to do that. Now she's since passed, which happens to us adults, right. <laughs> older adults. Yeah. And, but uh, I think about that a lot. And I, I think that that was just ingrained in me. It was just to be a stubborn SOB. Yeah. And when one thing didn't work, I went and found another one. And, um, but I really did. It took me losing everything to be able to get a good feeling for how I could impact the world and uh, what I was here for, I guess. Well, it, like you said, it, you get down to the what you what really matters. Yeah, right? everything yeah. else is expendable. And I try to get talk to my clients about that. 
Think what is the worst that could happen? Yeah. Can you survive that? And if so, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And usually it's a little bit of money. I mean, so, so often they're afraid of losing a little bit of money. You know what I mean? It's like money. (laughs) Here's the thing for 90% of the people out there, they get to the end of the month. There's no money left anyhow. So if you spend an extra grand, you're still going to come to the end of the month with no money. You know what I mean? If you invest in it, you're going to find a place to spend it. So you might as well invest it in yourself, you know, because money replenishes. For most yeah. people, they always, they don't have, it doesn't matter how, they can get a bonus, it's gone by the end of the month. Right. They get their tax return, it's gone by the end of the month. So money replenishes. So if, you're, if you have something that you want to go for, go for it. Time does not get replenished. Time does not replenish. Don't, I mean, time with your kids, time with time with the people you love, you know, that's what doesn't come back. And there's nobody that's died saying, I wish I'd gone to work one more time. <laughs> you know, nobody on their deathbed is like, oh, man, I didn't get that report to so-and-so. Nobody does that. They go, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have done that trip that I talked about. I wish I would have. I wish I would have. I wish I would have. That's what people talk about. Absolutely. Good stuff. Yeah. Doug, this has been awesome, man. We yeah. appreciate you being on the program. If people want to get in touch with you and find out more about the programs you have and everything like that, how can they do that? What's your, what's your website? Um, uh, there's a couple of places. Thethoughtleaders.co is a great spot to get to me. And then um, my blog is dougmcisaac.com. And that's uh, M-C-I-S-A-A-C. And if you want to connect with me directly, go on to LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, and I'm Doug McIsaac everywhere, almost everywhere, except for Snapchat. So if you're looking for me online, uh, it's it's forward slash Doug McIsaac, D-O-U-G-M-C-I-S-A-A-C, and you can find me. But LinkedIn is where I post the most often. Very cool. Well, I will make sure that all of those links are in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with you and stuff. Um, and again, thanks again for being on the program. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks for pushing me into spots I wouldn't normally go to. Oh, this so, is awesome. Yeah. All right. Listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of notes. Um, leave some comments. If you've got comments and things, uh, we'd love to have your comments. Definitely like and share uh, this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. <laughs>